a little heads up on this episode that we talk about some subjects that can be a little bit heavy, um, about exposure to environmental chemicals and some of the symptomology that that can bring up. So if you have any concerns at all, please see your healthcare practitioner and discuss those concerns with them. Hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Nuanced Naturopaths podcast. This is a friendly conversation between two friends, us, Julie and Corinda. We're passionate about finding the nuance in natural health. As degree qualified naturopaths, we like to ask the questions that need to be asked about all aspects of health, healing and well-being. We absolutely delight in questioning firmly held beliefs and finding the nuance in all subjects, health related and beyond. Sometimes it can get a bit technical, but hopefully we explain things in a way that is accessible to anyone interested in natural health, whether you're a practitioner or someone who just wants to learn more and optimize your well-being. It's a chat about poop, periods, and everything in between. Buckle up for a laugh, a cry, and for some things that you are yet to consider about your health. The nuanced naturopaths acknowledge the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people as the traditional owners of the country on which this podcast is recorded and recognise their connections to land, sea and community. We pay respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and their elders, past, present and emerging. Always was and always will be. This podcast is not intended as medical advice and should not be viewed as such. It is general in nature and may not apply to you. Please seek the help of a suitably qualified medical professional should you have any questions or concerns raised in this discussion. And if you would like to work with either Julie or myself one-on-one, you can check the show notes for links to book in for a free connection call. Hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to another episode of the Nuanced Naturopaths. Yes. I'm welcome. actually declaring that this is the beginning of season two of the Nuanced really? Naturopaths. Really? Yeah. I, th- oh. I thought it might be nice to end to do like 10 episodes a season. This is behind the scenes stuff. You you guys don't need to hear this. I feel 10 episodes a season, ending the season with a guest interview. Right. Just as a loose Except fun thing. Except that our last episode was episode 14. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't it? <laughs> I don't know why that was you so know, solid. Rules. There are three kinds of people in the world. <laughs> people who can do numbers and people who can't. And I... <laughs> Depends on the day. <laughs> anyway, let's. What if for whatever reason this is a fresh start to the nuance natural yeah, parts? Yeah. And we are going to be diving in with some hot, yeah, rich, deep topics uh-huh. that Julie is, I think, busting <laughs> to delve into. Um. So this is going to be one where you lead. Yeah. Because you've done the research, you have unpacked the papers. Been down the rabbit holes. Yes. And and when we say rabbit holes in this context, we mean legitimate rabbit holes. Yeah. As in, Julie is looking at established, reputable research articles. Yeah. Um, not just Googling, not just <laughs> here's what I know. This is like, this is the depth of it. But hopefully we provide the information in a way that you can actually, you can understand and you yeah. can make practical use of it in your own life. Yeah. Julie, over to you for today's topic. What are we talking about? Okay. (laughs) Well, hang on. First of all, I want to ask you a question. (gasps) Yeah. Yeah. I want to spring one on you. Corinda, what did you have for breakfast this morning? (laughs) (laughs) 
This uh, was not discussed. <laughs> this was not discussed as part of the plan. Um, no, I love it. Um, this morning I had... So yesterday I actually made up a, a mix of uh, free-range beef. Oh, nice. Beef mince uh, with some onions and some carrot and some parsley and oregano. And I'm still relative, relatively new to cooking meat. Actually, yeah, when yeah. I think about it, because when I moved out of home, I was vegan. Um, so even when I was cooking for myself for the first time, it was all plant-based stuff. Um, yeah, interesting. I never processed that. So still new to cooking meat. So super lazy. I just make a mince mix, I yeah, guess, yeah. seasoned. And sort of made up two patties and popped them in the air fryer. And so, yeah, I had... So what we would call rissoles? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, rissoles. Yeah, that's a word. That's a or word that I would Or as my mother use. referred to them, arseholes. Oh, really? <laughs> really? When she would, she would say that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm having flashbacks every time my dad would say, yeah, it's rissoles for dinner. And me and my sister would just be like, oh, not the rissoles again. <laughs> Um, but yeah, they go really well in the air fryer. A little bit of olive oil, pepper, salt. Um, nice. So I had just a, a pretty protein dense, nice, low, no low carb breakfast today. That's a great idea. Yeah, I never thought of doing that. Yeah, because I because I've been the the protein thing is big on my mind. Mm. Um, and ADHD medication means that I'm often not hungry so I'm yeah. really really trying to be quite strict with myself about eating yep. in the morning nice having sufficient protein mm-hmm. but I never thought of mince yeah, it's a great just, idea yeah and and it's I actually really love it because it's one of those things that is like not a traditional breakfast food by any means but it's just such a nice and easy rule breaker and sometimes even if I'm looking to add more protein in if I'm already having eggs for breakfast I just get a little bit of mince in the side of the fry pan yeah loosen it up make it into really small parts so it cooks really quickly and easily add some veggies on top couple of tiny bits of broccoli and spinach and sort brilliant yeah yeah I love it I love it and this this business about traditional breakfast in Argentina, they eat cake for breakfast. Love that. It's traditional. <laughs> um, yeah. our, our tradition of cereal for breakfast was, oh. was you know, that's the food industry telling us what we should eat. Yeah. Ridic- um, oh. So, I, I, yeah, don't worry about that. Yeah. Eat I, what your body needs. I second that. Yeah. 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 Side note, I, I don't want to do the research. Maybe you can help. I don't want to do the research, (laughs) but I have a theory that cereal is the reason why we all have PCOS today and insulin resistance. And I would like to correlate the timeline of the introduction of cereal for breakfast with the incidence of PCOS and insulin resistance and other metabolic conditions being diagnosed. Well, that's very interesting because I think that leads very nicely a beautiful segue oh, yeah? into the topic today. Oh, beautiful. All right, take it away. Mm. I'll tell you what I had for breakfast later. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I just, just realised. Oh, no, no. Okay. Well, now I need to know. What did you have for breakfast? Okay, I had, I wanted. <laughs> oh, wait, I know. That's yeah, I, I, I wanted oat porridge 
But we didn't have any oats and I decided that I was not going to go to the supermarket, even though it's next door, to buy oats. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remembered that I used to eat polenta porridge mm. all the time. So I made up some polenta porridge and it is divine. Nice. It's, it's, I mean, I know that it's polenta is often eaten in um, uh, Italy as, as a, like a thick, yeah. you know, you, you, you make a thick mixture and then you fry it up yeah yeah that's how i've known it yeah Yeah, but you can add more water so so the ratio is uh one one of polenta you wouldn't make a cup because that would feed that's like like four people okay yeah um because it really expands yeah uh so one two five so I, i used a third of a cup of polenta yeah to five cups of five thirds of a oh, cup yep <laughs> numbers numbers <laughs> but that makes sense Not to me when, mathematician. You, when you say it like that i'm like oh yeah that makes sense yeah, yeah you use the one. same cup and yeah. you go one of polenta five, five of, of water. water nice um and then i threw in because protein i threw in some chia seeds yeah and i thought to myself really must check to see what quantity of protein is in chia seeds because I don't know. Yeah. I suspect I probably didn't have enough protein in there. Okay. Anyway, it was delicious. Nice. I put in some goji berries. Nice. Some lemon zest. Nice. A pinch of salt. Yep. Some maple syrup on the top. Nice. A little bit. You could, you, could, you could make it into a savoury dish. Yeah, which you I could. also like the versatility of having a savoury breakfast. Yeah. yeah. With the same food. Yeah. 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 So... Yeah, I'll, ex- I'll 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 research the uh, the chia seed question, the chia seed protein, protein question, and then bioavailability and how well can your body actually use it? Or yeah, yeah, there's that too. Oh, Mike, microphone is falling over. So, so back to the segue. Yes. <laughs> um, today's topic is about the, the nuance. Mm. Sound for nuance. Of common allergens Mm. that can be confusing or often overlooked. Mm. Um, Specifically, we're talking about wheat, Mm. gluten, Mm -hmm. glyphosate, Mm. and dairy. Mm. Um, And the confusion between those things. Is it an allergy? Is it an intolerance? Is mm. it a sensitivity? Mm. And then, of course, there's things like celiac disease. So Yeah, where it gets a bit more yeah. serious. Yeah, yeah, complex. yeah, exactly. And 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 shouldn't be missed and shouldn't be overlooked. Yeah. Um, but but can be overlooked. Yeah. Um, so we'll start with wheat. So when somebody suspects that they may have some kind of intolerance to wheat, they often attribute it to gluten. Mm. Um, but that may not necessarily be the case. Mm. Um, and I get actually first pause of the day. Yeah. Can we, and maybe you were going to go into this anyway, but let's just quickly, uh, what's the difference between wheat and gluten? Oh, yeah. Because this is an area where I I find a lot of clients are like, hang on, hang on. What's, what am I looking out for on ingredients and what's the difference? Yeah. 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 Okay. So, so wheat is a grain, mm. um, and I'll go into a little bit of the history of it in a minute. Yeah, cool. Um, and within that grain, that seed of mm. that grass plant, mm-hmm. which it is, uh, there are different components 
and one of the components is the protein mm. component um, and that is gluten mm. so so gluten is the combination of gliadin and glutenins ah. um, and so gluten also occurs in other grains right so it occurs in barley it occurs in rye mm. uh, spelt so spelt is a is a a kind of ancient wheat it's mm. just another variety mm-hmm. um there's things like uh, kumut which is also known as kurasan which is also another grain mm-hmm. that that has this gluten um protein in there right We'll circle back to that. Cool. But we'll start at the beginning. Yes. So historically, mm. um, einkorn wheat was thought to have been uh, first domesticated probably around 9,600 BC in Turkey. Oh. Uh, and then emma wheat has been traced back to the Neolithic era about 8,800 years ago in Syria. Mm. Um where, and then it was it was cultivated and and hybridized even even earlier you know like in those sort of historical times yeah. it's like one of the first cultivated crops right. of, of humans okay mm. um, so uh, breeding the emma and the einkorn actually provided a more resilient crop mm. um, in terms of weather and pests. Uh, and also that the einkorn was quite hard to process. Mm. And so the, this was the first incarnation of, of a hybridised wheat variety. Right. Um, and uh, makes up the greater part of what we call, or what is known as Triticum aestivum, which is the, the Latin name for the wheat variety that makes right. up about 95% of the world's wheat. Right, okay. I mean... It, Having said that, it's gone through many other transformations as well. So there's mm. there's now varieties of that particular um, uh, species, species or plant. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's gr- currently grown on more land than any other food crop. Wow. Okay. <laughs> around the world, with about five hundred and forty-five million acres. Oh, uh, okay. World trade is greater than all of the crops combined um, at 761 million tonnes in 2020. Far out. Okay. So, I mean, if we're thinking of what, of its importance in economic terms. Yeah. Um, you know, that this kind of lends weight to it when we're, when we're having the discussion around whether this food is a food that we should be eating now. Yeah. So, um, bread was traditionally considered a high-status food, um, first thought to have been made by the Egyptians, um, up until around about the early 19th century when Britain began mass consumption, displacing their diet of oats, barley and rye. So people were eating a broad cross-section of foods uh-huh. and not eating bread every day. Right, yep. So still getting their grains in, yep. still getting these cereals in, yep. but not it wasn't just wheat dominant. Yeah. Yeah, yep. okay. And and probably using, you know, hand ground kind of or fairly basic methods of yep. grinding it to make the wheat. Yeah. And so very, um, very 
like the whole brain. Yeah, Mi- yeah. minimal processing and yeah, yeah, the uh, truest, truest to its as close as you could get it to its whole form yeah. while still making it edible. Yeah, yeah, okay. And then it's thought that around, um, I think it was in the again early nineteenth um, century when Mendel's experiments with genetics of plants enabled the wheat to be further hybridised to improve the yield, the mm. uh, you know, climate and pest tolerance so they could be grown in more places for longer and right. um, to improve the, 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 the ease of harvest. Um, and that, that process has continued on. So the yields in 1850 of wheat were recorded to be less than two tonnes per hectare. Mm. Um, now the yield... In Belgium in 2014 was measured at 9.41. Wow. So the the yield that is yeah. <laughs> extracted from the crop of the seed head yeah. is has grown exponentially. And that's mm. from genetic modifications that have made well they're fair that yeah 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 yeah. So that's that's the culmination of all of the the hybridization. Yeah. Um, and now the the CRISPR technology that um, has been used to to now genetically modify mm. different strains to to make it mold and pathogen resistant right. and herbicide resistant, so Roundup ready. Yep. Um, mm. So even though um, a lot of the the hybridization was done in the early days. It's that's kind of sped up now, and what we have now is a kind of Franken wheat. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, you know, telling it like it is because yeah. it's not. It's not. It is a plant food, but it is not what yeah. we've evolved to be able to digest. Yeah, like could could we even? I mean, at this point, with with just that summary alone, could we even call it like a whole food? Can can we call it a natural food? I don't know that we can. Uh, yeah, I, don't I mean, I don't know that anybody's done that research because well, they'd have to be brave, wouldn't they? Yeah, with that sort of economic weight behind it. Yeah, who's, who's going to get behind that research? And it's such an important consideration. Like when you just go through like what they're yielding now, how it's the most traded, most grown, or mm. takes up the most space mm. of all the crops, and is the most traded crop. Uh, oh, there's a, yeah, there, there is a lot of value to that. Yeah. Yeah. And so questioning how we're doing the wheat game, w- yeah, would be so risky. Yeah. Okay. So that's first thing that's sort of on the radar, right? Yeah. And it mm. is, uh, wheat is the source of approximately half of the world's calories. Oh, that shouldn't be that. <laughs> no. Now, I don't know what the perfect makeup, I don't know <laughs> what the perfect pie chart of what that should be, should look like. But all I know is that when you say half of the world's calories come from wheat, as it is now, yeah. I'm like, oh no. Yeah. No, yeah. I don't. That I don't, is not right. That, that is, is not right. That is not the, the, the approved <gasps> food plate chart. No. <laughs> no. Wow. Okay. So, in its defence, uh, wheat does provide dietary fibre mm-hmm. in its whole grain form. Mm. Um, it does have, it contains calcium, iron, magnesium. Phosphorus, potassium, uh, salt, zinc, copper, uh, manganese, mm. um, uh, uh, B1, B2, B3, B5, folate, though 
that is um, in mm. some cases an, an enhancement. Yeah. Um, there's a word for that. Uh, like the fortified. Fortified, thank you. And we know <laughs> that fortified nutrients, very speaking very broadly, so as to not open another tab. Yeah. Um, fortified nutrients don't always necessarily confer the same benefits as... No. And in fact mm. can be detrimental right. to some people. Yeah. Because it's a synthetic version. It's yeah. the folic. Yeah. Not the phalenic or yeah. the, the other versions. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> also contains vitamin A, vitamin E in the form of an uh, alpha tocopherol. Mm-hmm. Um, it has bran, uh, which contains vitamin K. Mm-hmm. It also contains beta carotene, lutein, zeaxanthin, and approximately 1,574 kilojoules per 100 grams of dry weight. Okay. So that's nutrition. Yeah. It does have nutrition. Yeah. Cool. However, there are still question marks. Yeah. Um, this, is, this is where it all gets a bit dark. Okay. It is treated with fungicides, mm. herbicides, and growth regulators, which are applied at various stages of development. Mm. And then the herbicide Roundup, which mm. contains glyphosate. Mm. Um, we, we need a bloody glyphosate alarm. <laughs> oh my god, I swear. <laughs> we do. Okay. Yep, I'm, I'm, I'm bracing, I'm bracing. Yep. Um, it also contains a surfactant, uh, polyethyl... Polyethoxylated taloamine. Okay. P-O-E-A. P-O-E-A, yep. Um... Anyway, the whole Roundup product is used to drench the plants to increase the seed head, to mm. Im- improve the yield. Right. Because it stresses the plant out, it produces more seed in response. And then it's drenched again mm. to desiccate the seed heads to prevent mould. Right, okay. That is not washed off. I mean, and it's not, you don't wash it off anyway because it, it, it is incorporated into the plant. Mm. It's. This is the thing with pesticides is you can't just wash them off the outside because they are drawn up into the plant and they they are part of the plant. So. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, okay. And just to add another layer of complexity, the Australian Pesticides and Veterinary Medicines Authority, if anyone saw my Insta feed <laughs> last mm, week, yeah. um, there was an announcement um, that it was actually being investigated um, they are actually responsible for the testing of all herbicides, pesticides, fungicides, and most of the chemicals that we use. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a bit of a misnomer when it says veterinary medicines mm. because it's it actually incorporates a, a lot of our, our day-to-day chemicals. Right. Um, so they had an independent review uh, that the government um, instigated they published their findings and they had some serious concerns about the manner, the timing and the transparency of their regulatory work. Mm. Um, some of the chemicals that they are, uh, that are under um, approved, uh, that are going through the process yeah. um, are still not yet approved after being in the system for 17 years. Right. Those chemicals still being assessed yeah. are in use are currently in mm. use. So what that means is we don't know mm-hmm. if they are safe for humans, mm. but they've been in our system for 17, 17 years. And a lot can happen with 17 yeah. years of yeah. exposure. Yeah. 
So I actually just want to make a point there. Sure. Because it's so easy for people to very easily say or very confidently believe, and yes, it's a nice thought, to go, oh, it wouldn't be allowed in food if it was dangerous, if it was harmful. Oh, they wouldn't allow it. The government wouldn't allow it. The regulatory bodies wouldn't allow it. X, Y, Z, you know. Or they've done research on it, you know. It's, it must be safe for humans if we can buy it and eat it. No. Not necessarily. And let's just say and that at the very least, we don't know. Yeah. Yeah. We don't know. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Yeah, okay. So the Keep ma- racing. The major finding of this independent review was that um, maintaining the status quo is untenable. Mm. So for our major body overseeing chemicals in our lives. And don't forget... These chemicals, Mm. when they're tested, are tested in isolation. They're not tested Mm. for finding out what other combinations they make when they meet up with other chemicals. Yeah, right. That are in our food chain, that are in our environment. So yeah. Sorry, it's not a happy podcast. No, that's right. And I was actually thinking before at the cafe, I was like, oh yeah, we should just do because you mentioned the phrase doom and gloom. I'm like, oh yeah, I should put a little notice at the start of the episode, which I can still do. Yeah. Um. But if, I, if future Corinda doesn't put a notice at the start of this episode, then you're 24 minutes in and here's the notice. Yeah. It's, it's a bit doom and gloomy. But when we know better, we can do better. Exactly. And the purpose of sharing this information is that so you can be informed. Yeah. So that you can be fully informed when you go to make decisions for the health of yourself, your yeah. family, information that you share with friends, decisions that you make around what you eat. Especially if you're on a health and healing journey. This this absolutely. is absolutely going to be playing a part in it. Yeah. So it's it's dense, it's heavy information. It's not all love and light. <laughs> but it's important. Yeah. It's important. Yeah. 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 And I think that's why I'm, mm. I'm passionate about it. Yeah. We wouldn't be talking about it <laughs> if we didn't have passion or importance behind well, that's, it. Yeah. That's true. Okay. So So now we need to talk about... If somebody suspects that they have an issue, mm. is it wheat? Is it gluten? Mm. Is it an intolerance? Mm. Is it a sensitivity? Or do you have an autoimmune disease? Yeah. So it, it could be any one of those things. And there's a lot of crossover with symptoms. Yeah. Um, and in some cases, some things can be asymptomatic. Yeah. So, so wheat allergy... Just to, to break all of these down, yeah. a wheat allergy is like any allergy. It's mm. a it's an IgE antibody reaction. It happens pretty quickly. Yep. Um, it can be a delayed reaction, a mm-hmm. delayed hypersensitivity reaction. But I think, you know, in most cases you would get something, a reaction, say, within 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Um, it can have symptoms like any other allergy of swelling, itching, mm-hmm. irritation of the mouth or the throat, mm-hmm. hives, itchy rash, swelling of the skin, so wheels, mm. um, nasal congestion, headache, difficulty breathing, cramps, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, and in severe cases can um, trigger anaphylaxis. Yeah, yep. Okay. So within allergy, there can still be varying degrees of allergy. Yeah. It's not all the the yeah. same allergic response isn't going to be mounted for every instance. That's that's right. Okay. Yeah. And often, you know, with with a type 1 hypersensitivity, mm-hmm. the first time you're exposed to it, mm. you may not have a reaction. Uh, you, it's likely that you won't have a reaction. That's the primer. Yeah. It's the second time you have it. 
that you then mm. can. The body's like, oh, this thing. This thing. Boom. Yeah. We didn't like this the first time, but we yeah. didn't tell you about it. Right. Okay. Yeah. So does that actually quickly bust a myth? Maybe it's a myth. I don't know. That allergies can be developed. If you didn't have it from a young age, I guess, for example, someone might say, no, I'm not. It can't be an allergy because I could eat it when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. No, no. So allergies, allergies can develop. Well, yeah. And that's probably more to do with your, your microbiome okay. than anything else. So if you have some degree of intestinal hyperpermeability, mm. so otherwise known as leaky gut, mm. um, then that's where the tight junctions are broken, mm. particles can cross over the brush border um, and into circulation and trigger your Im- immune system. Yeah. Um, and, and any protein, any food mm. can then become a, your allergen. Yeah. Um, so um, that's always got to, <laughs> it's always in the back of the mind of, of any naturopath is that this can happen yeah. as well. Yeah. Yep. Or <laughs> you could be allergic to it. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, th- I think most true allergies start in, in early childhood. Mm, okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So then we have wheat sensitivity, mm. which is generally an IgG antibody response. So not a true allergy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, um, you know, some people might refer to it as a food reaction or a food food intolerance Mm -hmm. um it's usually more of a delayed reaction Mm -hmm. so it can be 30 minutes up to a day after consuming the food Mm -hmm. which makes it really difficult to know that was the thing because you especially if it's something like wheat yeah because wheat is in so many of our foods yeah even if it if you're not eating bread or not eating pasta, mm. it can oh. still be in as a thickener in yeah. condiments. It can be in sauces, in soups. Yeah, you know, it's even in potato chips and yeah, you know, it's in, it's so you need to read the packets. So. Yeah, and it that is a word that will be bolded on the ingredients yes. list because it is a common allergen. So any ingredients list in Australia, I can speak for wheat will be bolded. Yeah. so it's always have a look at your soy sauce. Seriously, yeah. go home, have a look at your soy sauce or something that you're like, this couldn't be wheat. Yeah. There's going to be something. Yeah. Um, so it can be the wheat. So not necessarily the gluten. Mm. You could be allergic to wheat or you could be intolerant to mm. wheat. Yeah. Um, which would mean that you could still eat maybe spelt mm. or Khorasan or one of the other varieties. Um, I, I myself um, have had a a wheat intolerance Mm. um i can eat spelt without any issue right um i can eat some types of wheat when i went overseas to france yeah not a problem yeah right i was eating croissants like they were going out of style yeah um not an issue came back home can't eat it and i've heard that story a lot of times yeah same so and we were, we were sort of having a chat about <laughs> hypothesizing yeah. why that is. It, uh, is it in Europe? Are they using a different variety of meat? It, uh, meat? Meat. <laughs> Wheat. <laughs> are they using a different variety? Uh, pesticides. Pesticides. The glyphosate. Uh, is that wheat exposed to glyphosate like it is here mm. and in other 
modernised, westernised countries. Pretty sure it's banned in Europe, but I'm not sure which countries it's banned in and which it isn't. Europe is a big place made of a lot of countries. Yeah. And so I guess, and I guess just to, just to, I guess, because I'm sure there are people out there who may feel confused about their digestive symptoms or general symptoms because... They can eat wheat sometimes or they can't eat wheat. Or and first it might be you're not clear what's wheat and what isn't. So mm. that would be the first thing to thoroughly go through. But then, yeah, having these experience, oh, but in Europe I was fine and then here I'm not. So it can't be yeah. the wheat because the wheat, you know, just to, I guess, remind you and reassure you that there are these caveats and yeah. it's it, it can still be a part of the puzzle piece. So yeah. I, I don't let it be more confusing of like, oh, but I had... It didn't. It wasn't. It wasn't always the same reaction across the board in any country that I was in. Yeah. There are factors that could alter that experience. Yeah. 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 Also, wanted to quickly say if we've ever prescribed a food and diet diary for you, and you've gone, no, I don't. <laughs> and you've gone, oh my god, these freaking naturopaths on my ass about recording what I eat and da da da, you know. And I think the food Nazis. Food, oh God. <laughs> and I, I think your explanation of what a food intolerance is versus intolerance versus allergy is why it's so important to track what you're eating yeah. and track the symptoms that you get alongside because you, yeah, okay. You might not respond to it on the same day. You might yeah. not respond to it in the same waking hours that you yeah. eat it, but the next day you might have a reaction. And yeah. the best way that we can track that is if we have a consistent consecutive record yeah. of what you're, you've eaten across days and seeing what your bowel movements are like, what your immune sy- symptoms are like yeah. alongside what you're eating. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Back, back to the thread. All right. Um, okay. So that's wheat. Then we've got wheat gluten. Mm. So um, I said, said what it is before. Mm-hmm. They're very large molecules, these glutenins and gliadins. Mm. They're not easily broken down in the body. Mm. Um, and they they lack some vital, vital amino acids, just by the way. So they are mm. a protein, but they do lack lysine and threonine. Okay. So if cutting wheat out of your diet mm-hmm. is not... I mean, you know, that's, it's, that's not the only reason you'd eat wheat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, you know, if, if, say, if, say, you were on um, a vegan diet and you were eating seitan, for mm. example, which is made of just gluten, yeah, you're not getting a whole protein there. Uh, so that's okay, probably yep. important to know. And, yeah, I guess also recognising gluten in the whole form of wheat and other cereals, but also extracted gluten. Yeah. As a, yeah, okay, yeah, and just yeah. putting that on, on the radar as well. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so then there's the starchy endosperm, which makes up about 80 to 85%, which mm-hmm. is probably where the most of the energy comes from. Mm. Um, the fibre is predominantly insoluble with a few soluble fibres, which is xylans and beta-glucans. Mm-hmm. So, um, there is also a wheat neuropathy mm. condition. So about two... 2.4 to 8% of the American population, that's where I got this particular piece from, mm. experience neuropathic symptoms on consumption of wheat, mm. including ataxia, um, so uh, struggling to move their bodies, mm. you know, move their limbs. Smoothly, smoothly. or efficiently, yeah. 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 Um, schizophrenia. Wow. Depression, mm. headaches, myalgia, so muscle pain. Mm-hmm. Um, fatigue and brain fog. Mm. 
So, I mean, fairly easy to tease that one out if you're experiencing those symptoms. Yeah. Um, but I just thought it was really interesting because I'd never actually heard of that before. Yeah, and, and good to note and, and validate, like, yeah, what you eat can yeah. result in symptoms like that that yeah. have nothing to do with digestion on the surface, Yeah. that have nothing to do with your immune system on the surface. Um, yeah, I really love that note. Yeah. Um, and if you know if you were if you were experiencing something like schizophrenia, mm. well, the first thing you would do is take weed out of the diet. Yeah, right. Yeah, just to ensure you know. that that's not yeah the something that's triggering this. Yeah, it's not this disease that you've always had and it's just been activated now. Yeah, it 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 could literally just be a result of the wheat in in some of the population. Yeah. Wow. Insusceptible individuals. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, I've also got another tab in my in my brain now too because uh, I know that there's a link with schizophrenia and gastrointestinal dysbiosis. Oh. And and now I'm thinking, is that because of the glyphosate? I mean, like, oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> but I'll come. I'll circle back. <laughs> <laughs> it's on the list. It's on the tab. Oh, told you it's rabbit holes. Um. Okay, so. Yeah, gluten is found in wheat, rye, and barley. Mm. Celiac disease, mm. of course, is the autoimmune condition. Yeah, uh, it's quite a serious condition. Um, there are more and more people. The the numbers of people with celiac disease is growing. Mm. Um, again, exponentially, and yeah. we we really need to question why that is. Yeah. Um, it does happen in a susceptible population. So these are people that have the HLA-DQ2 and HLA-DQ8 allele haplotypes or genes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we can test for that Yeah. quite simply. Yep. Um, I think something more than 95% of people who develop celiac disease have one or both of these genes. Yeah, yep. Um, what happens is that it's an inflammatory autoimmune response in the small intestine mm. um, on consumption of even the tiniest amount of mm. gluten mm-hmm. um, that can then damage the, the villi and the mucosal circus of the uh, surface, not circus. <laughs> Although it's, it can be a bit of a circus in the small intestine at times, yeah. especially if you've got celiac disease, yeah, exactly. shivers. It would be a circus. Um, of uh, so of the GI tract, um, mm. and they're d- damaged to such a point that it, um, it, it can have uh, complications. Yeah, serious complications. Yeah, um, it's it's a self initiated immune response thought to occur as uh, as a target, uh, targeting the tissue transglutamase. Mm. Um, which is a deaminating enzyme released during inflammation. Right. So that's interesting in itself because it causes inflammation, mm-hmm. which then causes more tissue transglutamase, which causes Causes-ness. more inflammation. Right. So the inflammatory so, cycle is really just yeah. ooh, thriving, thriving yeah. in that yeah. circumstance. Yeah. So um, mm. symptoms of celiac disease, which can is often diagnosed later in life. I mean, it can be diagnosed yeah. in children, but it's there are people who are in their 60s that are getting diagnosed with yeah, it. fascinating. Which means that they've gone their whole life with this kind of possibly, potentially, yeah. this kind of damage happening. In their small intestine, yeah. Or 
because it's a genetic condition, mm. a genetic autoimmune condition, something has triggered it. Right, something's turning that gene yeah. on later in life. They they hadn't had the celiac expression their whole life. Yeah. Right. So, Which would be, I think, best case scenario. Yeah. As opposed to you have had that gene on your whole life and your small intestine has been actively damaged because you've been consuming gluten. It'd be surprising if somebody went their whole life without noticing that. But, yeah. you know, having said that, I'm sure that there are people who just got used to daily diarrhoea. Yeah, truly. You know, whatever the symptom is. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, symptoms can include abdominal pain and mm. cramping, bloating, diarrhoea or constipation or both. Yeah. Um, nausea, vomiting, headaches, myalgia, fatigue, weakness, mm. and lethargy, mm-hmm. brain fog. Yeah. The most concerning thing is that it can be completely asymptomatic. Mm. So you could be somebody who wow. potentially has it your whole life. Yeah. And experiences no symptoms but has this kind of damage going on. Wow. So. And I have to believe, as a naturopath, I have to believe... For my own sanity, that if we did a really thorough, holistic, naturopathic case taking, I would like to think that we would be able to pick up that something's awry in the gut. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Because, I mean, if nothing else, nutrient malabsorption in things like iron, B12 and folate. Yep. I mean, not to mention things like, you know, zinc. Yeah. Magnesium. and <laughs> Yeah, right. Which, um, so these are all nutrients that are more likely to be uh, lower in people with celiac disease, hey? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Be- because the small intestine is having a harder time absorbing the nutrients. Or producing intrinsic factor for B12. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Right. And so at the very least, we would hopefully be able to pick up on symptoms that are associated with those nutrient deficiencies, hey? Yeah. Yeah. If there were no gut symptoms. Yeah. 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 And even then, no gut symptoms. Like, uh, uh, you know, if we're going through the (laughs) Bristol stool chart with someone and asking in-depth questions about colour and mucus and form and, you know, all the little nitty-gritty things... I would, again, I would love to believe that we would pick up on something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you'd think so. Yeah. Um, some of the other secondary complications of um, celiac disease can be lactose in, a secondary lactose intolerance mm. because, of course, oh. that damage to the brush border means that you're not producing lactase. Yeah, yeah. Lactase is the enzyme that breaks down the lactose you don't produce that because of damage then you can become lactose intolerant yeah so not born with it which is interesting because i've always kind of had it in the back of my head that if you were lactose intolerant you would have that from birth but i was not aware of that fact until i very recently yeah i gotta say me too (laughs) Mm. oh wow yeah and because yeah there are there are brush border enzymes yeah and that's one of them oh gosh and you know what i think we'll do I reckon we might do a little reel demonstrating what a good brush border should look like and what it should do, as well as what a healthy intestinal lining should look like with tight junction. I think we should do that to let the people know visually what, what we're talking about. Yeah. 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 Tab. Okay. (laughs) Uh, More secondary complications uh, can be osteoporosis, Mm. not absorbing calcium efficiently. Yeah. Um, infections, mm. because of course the immune system is 
you know, hyperactive. Yeah. Not not balanced. Yeah. Um, jejunal lymphoma and dental health problems because, again, calcium not being absorbed properly. Yeah. So that may well be something that we can look for um, as a clinical presentation is somebody mm. who's having issues, dental health issues. Yeah, yeah. Um, because your gums and your teeth need nutrients to be healthy and yeah develop correctly and yeah and there's a and we touched on this if you haven't already <laughs> listen to our uh last our most episode recent episode 14. episode 14 <laughs> uh with where we interviewed rebecca edwards because we do touch on the importance of the oral microbiome yeah so just remembering that there's a whole ecosystem in your mouth and yeah. there's a lot of things happening and nutrients are an important factor and what's happening later down in your digestive tract can be linked to or reflective of what's happening in your mouth and vice versa. Yeah. 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 With the one and a half litres of saliva that we swallow every day. Wow. <laughs> and in, in, tea, in Chinese medicine, they believe it's very important to swallow your saliva. They believe oh. that it contains like the... Um, I might be getting this wrong, but a sort of like the Jing essence, like the it, oh. it's your DNA and it, it's inherently vital. Yeah. Well, it is. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. Unless you've got dental health problems. Right, and then it's compromised. Yeah. And then you're swallowing, what, a litre and a half? Did you say a litre and a half? A litre and a half. Of compromised fluid. (laughs) (laughs) Nuance. But then if you had sufficient hydrochloric acid. It would, yeah, yeah. counteract Uh, anything harmful in it. Tabs, tabs, tabs. Another tab, another tab. (laughs) Um, so other autoimmunes are associated with celiac disease. Mm. Things, and they, they can often be co-comitant. Mm-hmm. Is Con- that the word? Comitant? Concomitant? Concomitant? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Can occur at the same time. <laughs> um, such as Hashimoto's, mm. type 1 diabetes, mm. Addison's, mm. autoimmune hepatitis, um, IBD, so Crohn's, mm. is common. So yeah. imagine having Crohn's <gasps> and celiac at the same time. No, I, I couldn't. Be, oh, my goodness. Be not very nice. Shout out if, oh, if you yeah. experience that. Oh, my goodness. Sjogren's, uh, um, SLE, so lupus, mm. rheumatoid arthritis, mm-hmm. and chronic pancreatitis. Mm. So is this a matter of, just in terms of what you know and what you've read, is this a matter of... Once you have one gene for an autoimmune disease turn on, like for celiacs, it's more likely that other genes for other autoimmune diseases will turn on. Mm. Or is this just um, is this just a pattern that they've noticed in people with celiacs that it's just they don't know why, but it is more likely that they will go on to develop another autoimmune condition. Yeah. I don't know the answer to that question, mm. um, and I don't know that it's been elucidated right. in the research as yet but all we know is that there's a link there is a link yeah. there is a there is a yeah if you develop one autoimmune disease it's quite possible for you mm. even likely yeah. that you can develop others and is that potentially a good motivator for getting people to see a naturopath to see a naturopath as yeah. early as possible um yeah <laughs> even if it's pre-diagnosis as soon as you're noticing that something's off because the sooner we can do something about it that gets to the root of it yeah the more likely it is that we can protect those other genes yeah. and protect all systems of your body that are gonna 
yeah. potentially contribute to other immune di- autoimmune diseases developing. Yeah. yeah. And just to clarify, it, just because you have the gene mm. doesn't mean that it will express, which, mm-hmm. which means turn on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's turned, they say the, 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 the genes load the gun and the environment pulls the trigger. Mm. So if you have the genes, an environmental trigger, which could be food, it mm-hmm. could be an, an environmental exposure, a pesticide, yep. um, chemical, heavy metals, yep. uh, a whole range of things. could be stress. Yeah, I was going to say know, so enough stress could, yeah. could do it. Yeah. So, um, And I think that the difficulty is that there are multiple triggers yeah. and they're probably... Um, person specific as well. Yeah, I'm guessing. That's my assumption there. Yeah, but um, yeah, uh, but what they do know is that that um, people with autoimmune conditions are much more likely to develop other autoimmune conditions. Yeah, so interesting. Yeah. So then we have non-celiac gluten sensitivity, mm. which is a gluten intolerance. Mm, So it's not an allergy. Mm -hmm. It's not an autoimmune condition, Mm -hmm. but it can have similar symptoms to celiac disease. Yeah. Which just, you know, makes, and this is why it's so confusing to tease this out. Yeah. Is because you've got a very similar symptom pattern with all of these things. Mm. And sometimes the symptoms might be part of the secondary aspect of the yeah. condition from, say, nutrient deficiency. Yeah, right. Um, so non-celiac gluten sensitivity is an IgG antibody reaction, mm-hmm. and so it's then a delayed reaction, mm. often misdiagnosed as IBS. Yeah, right. Because yep. that symptom picture is overlaps almost entirely. Yeah, yep. Mm. Alternating bowel movements, yep. cramps, bloating, bloating yeah. reflux. Mm. Um, yeah. And again, it's delayed, so it's hard to tell which food was it that I ate. Yeah. You know, could, mm. you know, could be the next day. Yep, yep. Yep. Um, but what you would have is a negative um, test most likely for the celiac gene. Oh, okay, yep. Um, and I believe that there are some tests that can be done in the States. Oh, okay. Um, for the IgG. And perhaps we can do those here for the IgG. Yeah. Some of the food. Um, oh, like an IgG food panel kind yeah, of thing. But yeah, but you'd want to... Um, that's Nuance? another tab of ours, yeah. Okay. That's, you know, food, test, food intolerance testing. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah, could yeah, do yeah, a whole... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. episode on that yeah mm. um and then just to add another layer of complexity to the whole picture mm. um an addiction to wheat is a real thing here we go so via the gliadorphins mm-hmm. which are an opioid peptide right formed by the breakdown of glutenin and bonds to the opioid receptors so mm. when you say it's really hard to give up wheat. It really is. It, yeah, it, it is. really it's is. It's not just you. It's not because you're bad at habits or you're being lazy or you don't care enough about your health. Yep. This is a physiological addiction. So I guess yeah. to, to break that down just a just a touch, the can you repeat the word that ends in orphans? 
gliadorphins. Gliadorphins. So you may... Gliadin? Y- yeah, you may... Um, well, I was going to say endorphins. You may oh, yeah. relate it to the <laughs> word endorphins, which are like your feel-good chemicals, right? Yeah. Yep. Endorphins, again, looking at that suffix, orphans, stimulate, interact with these receptors that you have all throughout your body opiate receptors mm-hmm. that and when that chemical matches with that receptor it's like oh we feel good feels good right i knew i would get you singing i think i i think i low-key wanted that um so yes yeah, so essentially yeah that's how it works yeah like like what happens with drug you know illicit drug addictions yeah that we're aware of it's yeah. it's triggering your feel-good receptors that exist in your body no matter what right mm. um yeah and so how much of that then contributes to obesity when when yeah. um you've got you know stress and anxiety which alters your, your metabolic mm processes and and how well you store fat yeah and then you're craving comfort yeah and these foods and these particular foods have feel-good chemicals in (laughs) them that tell your feel-good receptors to feel good and so you eat it and you feel good yeah and if you're not feeling good as a default in your life for a myriad of reasons your brain's going to tell you go for that food that makes us feel good yeah we know that yeah, and then because it's highly processed, yeah, you get an insulin spike and yep. then a drop. So an hour later, you feel like more. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> you're tired and you need some more feel good. Yeah, and if there's any digestive compromisation at all, you're not going to be able to absorb all the nutrients that are in that product, <laughs> right? And that's going to further impact insulin yeah. resistance and how your body can metabolize food because yeah. nutrients are needed for those processes yeah. as well. Yeah. And I, I feel called to make a note just on that with like, um, I guess with food addiction and, and in cases yeah, of obesity, yeah. uh, I, I often hear, and I totally agree with food addiction is one of the hardest things to overcome because you need to eat to survive. Yeah. But I think this is a really good example of how it's not just a matter of any food or no food. Yeah, yeah. The food that you're eating really does matter. Yeah. And some foods will f- be more addictive than others. Yeah. And dare I say more processed foods are more likely to be more addictive than if you're eating a really, really whole foods diet Absolutely. for the most part of your diet. Yeah. 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 <sighs> so it's not. Yeah. So just keep that in mind, even though, it, yes, it is true. You need to eat. To survive. Yeah. It's a tricky addiction. Just remember and be discerning with the foods that you are eating. Yeah. Knowing that if this is something that you're currently struggling with, the choices that you make with what foods you choose to ingest Mm. can play a role in your overall healing of the addiction and progress with the addiction. Yeah. Um, It's not just a matter of... Yeah, eating or not eating, or if you feel guilty about what you've eaten. Yeah. This is, again, back to the physiology. It really is having a, an impact on your body. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And if, if say, you, you didn't have any of these particular intolerances, uh, you've, got, you've got no issue with wheat per se mm. or with gluten, 
and you wanted to transition away from it, mm. one one way of doing that would be to go from, say, a highly processed white bread to something like a wholemeal yeah. sourdough as, yep. as part of the way of moving out of that, you know, transitioning out of that addiction. Yeah. And, and then, you know, maybe portion sizes, reducing, you know, frequency one yep. slice of bread a day whatever whatever it is that you wanted to do yeah and i'm i'm i don't make hard and fast rules because it's got to be personalized yeah it's got to be something that yeah my patient is comfortable with yeah yeah absolutely and that's something that's achievable and i will say that food that bread swap is a really common substitution that i'm recommending to many clients it, it's usually the first thing that we look out for in the diet if you're eating tip tops the one good on your mum white bread yeah. that's probably the first thing that will go okay where can we swap this out yeah. for something a little bit more whole whole wholesome yeah. whole foody and and i should say too that 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 really really white soft tip tops mm. the water say a brand <laughs> <laughs> but you know that really white processed mm. off-the-shelf bread mm. is also a really high concentration of these addictive mm. molecules so it, you, you're getting it, it's it's more addictive yeah yeah than the whole grain sourdough handmade artisan bread yeah which is about four times the price yep but think about your body yeah in what's the your long body run. worth <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. yeah and a quick side note on sourdough this isn't i'm sure there's something in my brain that will explain this but what i've actually just noticed clinically is that when people eat sourdough people who are known to have a, a kind of gluten intolerance that isn't celiac disease um or an allergy but people who eat sourdough tend to respond better yeah. than when they eat a normal bread. Yeah. Do you have any insight on that? Yeah, because they're wild yeasts, mm. not commercial yeasts. Mm. Commercial yeasts are great for keeping long-term yep. dried in big packets yep. and for making lots and lots of loaves of bread and in a controlled manner and they rise fast and they do all of the things that a bread a baker, I was going to say a bread maker, <laughs> a baker needs needs to happen. Yeah. Um, whereas a, a sourdough is um, you know, wild strains and mm -hmm. it has a variety of different enzymes in it. that So it breaks down the, the gluten and, yeah. and the proteins more easily than mm. uh, the sour, than, than the white, commercial yeast yeah right so, okay so yeah it is it, it is better for you because it's more easily broken down because these protein molecules are really large yeah they're really cumbersome and that's part of this hybridization that's happened mm. is not only have they increased the amount of gluten in the wheat grain mm. but the gluten itself is is bigger mm. and there's just more gluten. And when when a particle, when we're thinking on that like cellular level, when a particle's bigger, does it make it more likely? Well, obviously it's going to be hard to break down. So, and does that then make it more likely that it it will more easily trigger a kind of immune or inflammatory reaction? I think so. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah I think that's. I, I feel so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, 
I don't know what to... Yeah, there were a few... I mean, look, there were so many rabbit holes going, reading <laughs> these papers. And I, I will, we will be putting um, mm. references um, in the show notes for this one. Yeah. But uh, when it came to the, the actual mechanisms for, say, celiac disease... Yeah. Um, they're, well, they're highly complex mm. for a start. Yeah. Um, some are still unknown mm. because it's an autoimmune condition and it's not really 100% understood. Yeah. yeah. Um, but a lot of it is is the, the size of this protein. Yeah. It's just so big and cumbersome. Yeah. The wheat and the, and the, the agglutinin, mm. the wheat agglutinin, which is a lectin, mm. um, oh. um, is in fact, um, oh, I had notes for this. It's being researched. It's mm. toxic oh. in, a, in, a, in a concentrated amount. Right. It's toxic to the GI system. Wow. Um, just in and of itself. Yeah. And it's being researched as a chemo drug. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. Yeah. So Chemo drugs, by the way, if you don't know, kill cells. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, not what we want if we don't have cancer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I um, where is my note? Anyway, um, yeah. That's that was a really fascinating aspect that I cannot find in my notes now. But um, yeah, that wheat agglutinin is a lectin, and we may um, lectins is another subject we can mm. talk about. The yeah, secondary metabolites of plants mm-hmm. so they um uh they are byproducts of plants that are designed to protect the plant mm. from being eaten yeah when it's in its alive yeah. living form yeah. as a plant yeah. and there was a there was a very famous american doctor mm-hmm. cardiologist mm. who developed who made a lot of money mm. i'm not saying that's his only motivation because i think he's very passionate about what he believes mm-hmm. um but he was of the opinion that all lectins are evil ah. um, because of this secondary metabolite action and that they're designed to kill humans yeah um and yeah that's a whole other rabbit hole and <laughs> but actually, I think it's actually important to note, if anything, just as a, a quick side note that you can take away from this, a lot of people get into the carnivore diet. Mm. I think a lot of the mm. propaganda, yes, I used that word, mm. a lot of the propaganda around the carnivore diet is based on lectins in plants, lectins bad. Yeah. And that, that's not addressing nuance. That's not no. acknowledging the nuance of quantity, quality, cooking method, yeah. exposures, quality of stomach acid, your microbiome. I could keep counting on my hand. Like there are so many factors that would determine how your body responds to lectins. Absolutely. But also for starters, just how many, how much you're consuming. Yeah. Um, so if, and that's something that I'm sure now that we've mentioned it, this is going to be one of those things. If you haven't heard the word lectins before, I swear to God, you're going to see it somewhere on the internet in the next week. (laughs) It's going to be one of those things. And you're like, hang on, where did I hear about lectins? Yeah. So just, yeah. Remember to keep the nuance in mind. And I think a really good thing to do is to think about, is this a food that we evolved to eat? Mm, mm-hmm. And I know that that's the premise of the paleo diet. Mm. Um, but we weren't, we didn't evolve to eat protein bars. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking that. of all the processed foods oh. that are like labeled paleo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but uh, lectins are plant foods, yeah. and and you know we we evolved eating foods that we could forage, mm-hmm. and it, in the case of wheat, where it's been ultra hybridized. This lectin is a, a more of a problem. Yeah, yep, yep. We would not have been foraging this food in we, this form. No. Back in the day, no. No, 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 no. It did not exist <laughs> in this form. It ha- we created it. Yeah, yeah. I think I think one of the things that I I heard about wheat, and this isn't in the research that I was looking at um, for this, but um, was that in the seventies. Wheat stood as tall as a man. Wow. And so that made it quite difficult to harvest. Yeah. It's now about waist height. Yeah. And has, you know, however many times the yield that it had before. So, you know, visually that's (sighs) how much it's changed. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Okay. Sorry. No, you, you more on wheat. Oh, yeah, I was just going to round up the wheat. I was just going to tie a bow around it. Let's do it. By saying, if you think that you might be intolerant, sensitive mm. to wheat or gluten, mm-hmm. before you decide to take it out of your diet, mm. you could go to a naturopath <laughs> for a start and have the conversation, mm. which I think you should do before you start taking important i mean not that this is an important food but before you take taking foods out of your diet i think yeah. it's important to have the conversation with a naturopath yeah um just to make sure you're still eating a balanced nutritive diet yeah absolutely um but you should go to your doctors mm-hmm. and ask for the celiac gene test mm-hmm. and i stress the gene test the genetic test mm-hmm. um you, most doctors in Australia, I understand, do the um, the celiac um, antibody test as a as a general rule, mm. um, and they don't normally do the gene test. Yeah. So they do the antibody because it's covered by Medicare. So yeah. you know that's that's the test that they do. Yeah. That antibody test is going to throw a false negative mm-hmm. if you have not been eating sufficient gluten. Yep. So and that's four slices of bread for six weeks. Yeah. So four slices of bread a, a day, day. or the equivalent. Weeks. Yeah. So if gluten is making you feel unwell, or bread is making you feel unwell, mm. and you stop eating it, and then you go to your doctors the week later and say, "Yeah, I think there's something going on here," yeah. and your doctor does the antibody test, it's going to come back negative. Yeah. If you do the genetic test, yeah. it doesn't mean you have celiac disease. It just means that you have the potential, mm. you have a predisposition, you could develop celiac, celiac disease and, again, go and see your naturopath so that you yeah. can look at ways of, of avoiding developing that autoimmune disease. And also you know that if you're going to go off gluten, you go off 100%. Yeah. You go all in. Yeah, yeah. And, and knowing why you're doing it and having that information to make that more informed decision. And, again, to stress the importance of that 
I could guarantee you 99% of cases if you get that tested at the doctor. So that will come up if so for people who are maybe going to have some blood tests to go through, that would come up as celiac serology. Yep. On the yep, so you'll on on your sheets of paper that you get the results on, it will say celiac serology and it will be negative or positive. Yep. Um and if that come if that result comes back to your doctor negative, they will tell you you don't have celiac disease. Yeah. In 99% of cases, I will guarantee that's you will be told that in some way, shape, or form. So then you'll go, you you then going around. Oh, I don't have celiac, so I can eat gluten. Yeah. But again, it it, yeah. it it's actually hard to get a positive result on that alone. So combining it with the yeah. gene testing yeah. is really important, just to stress that because if you do have the potential to develop it, or you do actively have celiacs. And you get that negative antibody result and you continue to eat gluten. Remember, you are actively harming your intestinal tract and that has a huge ripple effect on the nutrients that you can absorb, on inflammation in your body, which affects everything. Everything. Just to really stress the importance of that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And and again, in the doctor's defense, Mm. what they they would generally do is they, they... do the antibody test. If it comes back positive, they would then refer you on to a gastroenterologist and you would have mm. the, the biopsy, which is considered the the gold the gold stamp. Because the, the, the biopsy will, sh- will show part of your small intestinal tissue and it will show whether there's been damage that's um, yep. akin to that of yep. the damage that occurs in celiac disease. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> so that's weed. So that's weed. So I think... <laughs> I think part two for dairy. <laughs> part two for dairy. Well, I mean, I, I suppose to going on to just, I just want to touch on glyphosate. Oh, yeah. Because glyphosate might be the problem, not the wheat. Yeah. Not the gluten. Yeah. It might be the glyphosate that you're having trouble with. Mm. So, I, I mean, we will do a whole podcast on glyphosate alone, but I'd just like to highlight a couple of things about yeah. glyphosate that are important to consider in this context. Yeah. Um, so glyphosate, I should just clarify, is a component of the, um, the herbicide Roundup. Mm-hmm. Um, it disrupts plant life. Mm. via the shikimate pathway mm-hmm. and that has always been considered to be not something that humans have mm-hmm. we don't have a shikimate pathway but bacteria do that, but bacteria do mm-hmm. uh which is not a problem until we realized that we were made of bacteria <laughs> <laughs> microbiome microbiome yeah um which is significantly impacted yeah so that's one thing mm-hmm. it was originally patented as an antibiotic mm. and as a metal chelator. Mm. So that means it binds to metals. <laughs> um, so it kills microbes that are essential to plants uptaking nutrients mm. and binds to minerals, also preventing plants from uptaking minerals. Mm. So this possibly explains some of the dietary mineral and nutrient deficiencies that we have these days. You know, a lot of... People are really, really deficient in things like magnesium and zinc, mm. but they eat a healthy diet. Yeah. Oh, why does What's that happen? What's the deal? Yeah. yeah. Isn't it in the soil? Yeah, it's in the soil, and that's where it stays. Yeah. yeah. If it's there. I mean, some of our soils are depleted, too. Yeah. That's another conversation. Um, it, it 
inhibits um, the microbiome uh, microbiota production of tryptophan, tyrosine, and phenylalanine, mm. precursors for hormones, neurotransmitters, proteins, vitamins, and pigment. Very important, yeah. It's a fungicide, so it disrupts the mycelium that forms the communication networks between plants. Yeah. Oh. Um, which in, which enables, again, the plants to uptake the nutrients because right. sometimes they take them up via the mycelium. Yeah. Um, oh. It reduces glutathione production in rat experiments and is thought to displace glycine in ATP production. Wow. So glutathione being one of the most potent a- antioxidants that your body produces – Glycine being an amino acid, ATP reduction being the energy that your cells make so you yeah. can live and function. Your form of energy. Yeah. So if you're eating wheat, you don't necessarily have any of these. You're not intolerant to wheat. Yeah. You're not sensitive. You don't have celiac disease. But you're experiencing fatigue. Yeah. Perhaps it's glyphosate. So Aye. the glyphosate on the wheat. Yeah. Right. Um, it's been linked to metabolic in a, in a really exquisite study. Oh, yeah? Just displaying how much of a nerd I am. <laughs> to describe a study as exquisite? Oh, it was. It was a beautiful study. And it will be linked? Yeah. Um, in, I think it was 380 um, mother and child dyads. Mm-hmm. So. Um, they followed them for uh, from pregnancy through to I think the children are like eighteen or twenty years old. That's now. great. That's a great. Length so it's a, time. Yeah, yeah, a big big study. Yeah, robust. Yeah. In, in its time and its cohort, um, and um, has shown quite clearly that there is a link between glyphosate and its breakdown product. Aminomethylphosphonic acid mm-hmm. or AMPA, um, uh, and contributing to the development of liver disorders like um, non alcoholic fatty liver disease mm. uh, and metabolic diseases mm. such as type 2 diabetes. Yeah. Um, and the concerning thing is that this AMPA, this breakdown product, is in the soil, is in the waterways mm. everywhere. We're exposed mm. to that. We can't avoid that product. Yeah. We can avoid glyphosate by eating organic products, yeah. but we can't avoid this AMPA. Mm. Um, so, happy, 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 happy days. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, do I go on? Yeah, look, I'll, le- I'll leave that for the moment. But just yeah. to say that... It might not be the wheat. Mm. It might not be the gluten. Mm-hmm. It might not, you know, it might not be any of those things. It might simply be your exposure to glyphosate, mm-hmm. which is also known to be um, responsible for breakdown of tight junctions mm-hmm. and and cause intestinal hyperpermeability. So the 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 sequence of events could be mm. that the glyphosate. Um, triggers maybe some intestinal hyperpermeability, mm. which allows these large um, uh, gluten Glu- proteins to, to, cross. to cross over the barrier to go to, to trigger the immune system, which then triggers you know, an allergy or perhaps even 
perhaps it's the trigger for the autoimmunity. Yeah, yep. You know, that could be the sequence of events. I, mm. I'm i just hypothesising that from yeah. my own understanding of all of these yeah and i think that's really important to consider because again it it, it could be a matter of you're tracking what you've what you're eating and you're going hang on but that doesn't seem to be linked to that or oh no i've already trialed eliminating that and it didn't change anything you know was it organic yeah for, for starters but then also acknowledging that there are components of this thing. There are components of glyphosate that we can't avoid, but what we can do is support our bodies to be efficient at removing and eliminating toxins, keeping our immune system robust, keeping inflammation managed so that our body is intact and as adaptable as, as we can make it. Yeah. So even though there's a part of this, there's a puzzle to this where that, that is out of our control, even within that lack of control, there is something that we can do. Yeah. which I think is probably a good take-home message. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. And uh, and I, I'm going to give a shout-out to a product now. Yeah. Oh. Um, a shout-out to Organic Angels yeah. who delivered my box of beautiful produce, um, who deliver beautiful boxes of organic food, consistently good and delicious. Yeah. It's one way you can limit your exposure to glyphosate. Yeah is by eating organic. I was literally thinking that as we were talking. Mm. I'm like, oh, I need to get back on organic angels. Yeah. 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 So. Something to consider. Yeah. So that's that. That is that. Let's move into dairy. (laughs) (laughs) So for this episode, we will leave it there for now, an hour and 15. I'm sure you've got lots to go back on and replay and write down and take notes. I feel like this is a really good episode. I mean, for everyone. Um, who's interested in their health, but for the for the naturopaths, I feel like yeah. a lot of our colleagues will um, get excited about this conversation, even though we spoke about a lot of doom and gloom. I feel like it just like clarifies some things yeah. and sort of puts something on the radar that I think is very easy to be off your radar as a naturopath, especially if you're working with a you're knee deep in a complex case and you feel like you've covered everything. I feel yeah. like this is really important to consider. So. Yeah. Um, excited to share this one on the socials. Yeah. And also that important um, concept of if you're going to remove gluten from somebody's diet yeah. as part of your treatment plan, yeah. make sure that you tick the boxes and get that genetic test done yeah. to rule out um, potential for celiac disease. Yeah. Because if somebody is, you know, throws a false negative, continues to eat, a little bit of wheat because mm. they can tolerate a little bit. Yeah. And they have, you know, maybe an asymptomatic presentation or yeah. they're just not aware of it. Yeah. Um, then it, it, they, it, you, yeah. Yeah. It, you need to check the boxes just to make sure that, yeah. that, um, that that isn't happening. And for the record, Julie and I have both been in positions where we were very happily recommending gluten-free diets and elimination trials without considering and this piece thankfully landed for julie um thank you rachel arthur thank you rachel arthur shout out to rachel arthur big shout out to rachel arthur um for just existing for starters well yeah yeah (laughs) Um, but yeah, so I'm really thankful that this piece landed because then we spoke about it and then it's like, oh my gosh, yeah, that's of something course. to consider anytime. <laughs> so yeah, fellow from practitioner to practitioner, anytime you feel the urge 
to take someone off gluten unless they're going to go 100% no gluten for the rest of their life because they don't want to. In which case they need to know yeah. that that it could, is the potential. Yeah. That yeah. if they go backwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, just to pop that on your radar gently yeah. and with love. Yeah. Stick around for the next one. We'll be unpacking... Dairy. dairy. Oh, dairy, dairy, dairy me. <laughs> All right. See you guys. See ya. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Nuanced Naturopaths. Be sure to ask us any questions you have below, engage with the polls, and we'll catch you in the next one.